Hi, this is Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio. Thanks for joining us. Tonight, I have Molly Major with me, dear friend, artist, uh, raconteur, and uh, yeah, that fits. Come on. <laughs> um, so welcome. Can you see me squinting when you say that? <laughs> Not raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great. So, I invited Molly here to chat tonight about creativity. I am working now <clears throat> on a book on creativity. Oh. Trying to um, figure it out a little bit, put it down on, on the page. And um, so, uh, she comes from a... Um, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, you got a, I come from a background as a gallerist for um, a number of craft galleries. Mm -hmm. um, also, um, I, late in life, I became a metalsmith. Mm -hmm. I'm not, um, I'm not an excellent metalsmith, but I enjoy it and. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's about it, I guess. No, you, you've also got a master's degree. In... Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, that. Oh, that. <laughs> that little... Oh, that thing that took me eight years to finish. Uh, and your thesis was on? War and Photography of the Iraq War. Mm -hmm. And so a lot about uh, image and... Um... Right. And um, it wasn't a critical study of the images. I duplicated a... A study that was done by a professor at a different college uh, wanting to see if my data from the Iraq war uh, duplicated the same kind of data that he got from the first Iraq war. Hmm. Um, and it was completely different. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it's a, it's a subject that has interested me ever since my brother went to Vietnam mm -hmm. And uh, I think... War or our reporting of the war? Um, images of the war? Which? War and images, uh -huh. you know. Um, because I believed that, uh, that if people saw the images of what happened in war, they would not go to war. And I, uh -huh. I realized through, you know, very late in life that that is not the case. Yeah. Um, so you have this broad view of creating, whether mm -hmm. it's on a, on a very um, aesthetic, from an aesthetic point of view to a, you know, a more... Academic. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Reportage kind of approach. So anyway, I just wanted to chat with you about... Um, I wanted to chat with you about uh, some ideas about creativity. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's an interesting topic. And we have these design chats, which you have attended... Right. At the studio, which are great fun, and uh, so this is a design chat. Okay, I'm going to have it on creativity. Okay, I recently read a book by a by a woman, Sarah Centillis, or no, it's called "Draw Your Weapons," and she wrote the thesis I would have wanted to oh, write. It right. is a creative uh -huh. writing of my thesis, right. um, or I would, I guess, I would say it's um, creative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I'm very interested. So, if we're talking about creativity, are there basic requirements for it? Do you think? Quiet room, music, right. <laughs> um, 
Well, yeah. Um, I, I think it differs for everyone. Mm-hmm. I need quiet. Right. You know, I know other people who have, you know, music going all the time. Mm-hmm. That's very distracting to me. I need to be more in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, strangely enough, when I do metal smithing, I watch old movies that I've seen like 30 times mm-hmm. because I don't have to pay attention to them. They're more like right. a companion, you know, like somebody sitting there that I'm familiar with mm-hmm. that talk, talks to me. And I don't even look at the screen. <laughs> I just listen to the dialogue. And I already know the dialogue. So... I don't have to think about it much. Um, so when you're creating jewelry, um, do you create from a set idea, a pattern, a drawing, a model? A drawing, yeah. Usually it's a, a drawing. Uh-huh. Um, and when I started metalsmithing, I had such a burst of creative energy mm-hmm. that I would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning with all these ideas and spend hours drawing uh-huh. i'm still working off those drawings oh that's cool yeah that's cool. and that's like 20 or years or more ago yeah yeah yeah, yeah you got to keep your notebooks yeah you never know yeah get around because hell you had some good ideas yeah i had great ideas yeah well that's cool yeah so you're working on, on an old an old idea now I'm writing more. So do you think that writing and metalsmithing have uh, any correlation to similarities? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because um, I find that, that with woodworking, it's, there's all sorts of correlations. Huh. And I, well, I, I think because the way... I mean, you and I have a 10-year correspondence right. when I was living in Germany. Right. Um, so, you know, epistolary writing comes very easily to me. Mm-hmm. I have never written anything that's fiction or, you know, that's very, that's a daunting task as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I think because I do drawings in metalsmithing before, I'm, I don't deviate very much from that drawing unless I notice that the scale needs to be a little different than my drawing mm-hmm. is. Or I've made things where the the scale is just off and, you know, I just don't continue with that. Here's something that I've never considered before. When I do a drawing, it's usually a scale model mm-hmm. of the final piece. Sometimes I do a full-scale drawing, but usually my pieces are quite large. Right. Do you do a scale model that's three or four times the size of your no. final piece? No, I do... If anything, it's just a little bit bigger than it would end mm-hmm. up being in uh-huh. real life. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's, yeah, sometimes it's smaller than it would be be in real life. Do you design from language, feelings, smells? Do you, do you have a sense of it? Uh, I think I design more from a, an aesthetic that appeals to me. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are metalsmiths who I that I know I could never duplicate their work because it's just not who I am. Right. Who are like wild and, you know, they, they, yeah, they just do amazing things. Mm -hmm. And I admire their work a lot, even though for me, it's just not my aesthetic. Right. Can you describe your aesthetic in a couple of words? Just a few words, three words, pick three words. Uh, Symmetrical. Uh Uh-huh. Um, controlled, um, modern, you know, like 
mid-century-ish. It's not <laughs> it's not like mid-century jewelry. It's more cuz when I when I've used that word or when I've said it's like modern jewelry and I look on, online what modern jewelry is, I'm going, "No, that's not it." Right. You want to ask me a question? I want to ask you a question. So when you say that um <clears throat> Your writing and your woodworking have a lot to do with each other. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you mean by that, and how does one influence the other? Or well, the woodworking is a very um, left brain activity. It's very logical. It has you got to make sure you get this done before you do this. And right. If you don't do that, you're gonna have problems. You're gonna have to go back and fix that. And right. So it's very left brain, um, and I find that. The writing that I do, mostly creative nonfiction, mm-hmm. but some fiction, is also requires a skeleton to sort of hang things on. And so mm-hmm. my woodworking needs bones, the, right. you know, the pieces of wood that I use, and the joinery that I use to hold things together. And that on that, I can drape my whatever, whether mm-hmm. it's inlay or color. So I think there's, uh, there's similar... There are similarities in that, but there are also, um, I don't know. Is it like organizational requirements, like structural requirements for you to achieve the end result that you want? I think, I think that there's, I was, I was listening to a, a, a podcast about writing, and, uh, or maybe it was an interview on the radio about writing, and, and this one, this famous writer was saying that, there are writers who plot everything out. So uh, this is the guy who wrote um, the Cider House Rules, uh, John Irving. Yeah. And John Irving writes the end of the story first. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding. He writes the end of the story first, and then he goes back and starts it and ends up mm-hmm. at the ending that he's already... He right. already knows how it's going to end. And the rest of the world, including me, doesn't know how the story is going to end. Mm-hmm. You just sort of start off and go, well, I think this is an interesting idea and this is an interesting character. This is an interesting shape. I want to build in a piece of furniture. I don't know how it's going to end up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, that's a similar But do you do, with that basis, the, do you then do drawings that where you know, you know what it's going to end up before you start? Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. The more drawings I do, the more modeling that I do, the, the better the piece is, usually. Mm-hmm. Well, I just took a writing workshop, a free writing workshop from Sarah Centellis. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, it was called 7x7, seven seven, and she had us do seven-minute writing exercises. And one of the exercises that I loved was she had had us bring a poem that we liked, and then she had us bring an article from the newspaper. So, of course, the article from the newspaper had something or other to do with Trump and how horrible he is. And the the poem that I uh, brought was uh, the best, I think, the best poem in the world or something by Brian Doyle. Wonderful poet, poem about a, an interchange between him and a child and the child, you know, talks about imagine that there are there like between the lines of a poem, there are sentences that have that are only written in your imagination. Mm. Those are also po- like 
And I, I, so I took a, a line from that poem and a line from the newspaper article, and she said, place either one at the beginning and end of your piece of paper, and then write from the beginning to the end. Hmm. And I put the poem line at the end, and the, um, the line from the beginning was from the newspaper article. I was surprised that I got there, mm-hmm. that I connected the two. Right. That was a wonderful exercise. You know, I think if I, you know, did write something, you know, fiction, fictional, I would use that to do mm-hmm. it. Like, mm-hmm. this is where I want to get. Right. How do, how do I get there? And you can play right. all the way along. Right. You know, with ideas and throw them out. Right. And, yeah. I write very intuitively. I mean, I don't know. It just... But your metalsmithing does have a plan. My metalsmithing has a very definite plan. Yeah. So why do you think that is? Do you think that the that the expense? There's we... <laughs> 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 that. No, the abstract arts, the literature and dance right. and music. Well, let's say uh, have one set of rules, and the concrete arts have another. It's well, plausible. I think with metalsmithing, you. You really have to plan out a piece so you don't waste materials, right? Because um, that costs a lot of money. Yeah, the better planned it is. I know some metalsmiths who they they work. You know, they do like a furniture designer does, and they they design things from every angle and right. have. I I don't do that. I just do a basic drawing of the shape, like it's going to look. Especially because I do a lot of earrings from the front. So, right. you know, how the earrings are going to look from being viewed from the front. Do you put language to your designs at all? No. I put language on my, on my designs. And I urge my students to do, as, to, to do this as well, to uh, describe the piece. So if I'm, if I'm on the phone with you, yeah. I would ask you to describe your piece. Right. You know, in a, just a few words. And I think that's useful. I think that language... Um, that might make me a better mousemith. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. I, I I just think that it's it's useful to say to yourself, "This is going to be a blue piece." What does blue mean to you? Well, blue can mean mm. a thousand different things right. easily, and um, color, mood, sense. I mean, there's just a, so many different things, and so. Um, I yeah I design some things that I like aesthetically, um, but the wearing of them after I've made them I thought I think oh my goodness, it it looks great, like just sitting there, um, but when you wear it like it doesn't swing it's oh, you know God. it's not dynamic. Um, and I like I like making pins, although you know it seems so old fashioned to wear a pin. Mm-hmm. But it's really a f- the I have f- some pins of yours. Yeah, that's true. But it's really the free- freedom to do something sculptural in a small, mm-hmm. you know, without having to store it someplace, you know, out in your yard. Right. Um, so dysfunction. Yes. It's very important. Function is important. Yeah, very important. For me. For other people, I don't, you know, who make huge jewelry that, you know, when they're wearing it is, 
it's like they're wearing a piece of armor. I it doesn't it doesn't interest me to make it, although I appreciate people who do that kind of work that's mm-hmm. very avant-garde or um yeah, it's just it's just not my aesthetic to wear and since I usually end up not selling my work and <laughs> and wearing it myself, you know. I definitely I definitely make things that I can wear that I want to wear. Right. Yeah. It begs the question. Is good art is I don't want to go into art. I I want to I'm, just keep rolling, keep rolling. So it brings to mind a question about creativity and and what you produce, the the art mm-hmm. that you produce. Um, there is a, a good deal of time based art. Yes. Music is time based art in 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 one sense. Certainly, any improvisational stuff is time based. Um, Is sculpture or are they called the plastic arts? Is is, is oh yeah mm-hmm. the plastic arts like furniture right and uh, jewelry? Um, I don't know. I mean, plastic arts is usually designate sculpture. Okay. Yeah. Right. Either, but the you can make them out of. Metal or wood or right. ceramics or whatever, but it usually designates sculpture. Right. Yeah. Well, does um, trying to I'm trying to frame this question. Um, is is hmm. yeah, that's a tough one. All right, let me go to let me go to the question of art then. Is good art timeless? Or is it, is it, can it be ephemeral and be just as impactful? Um, when I think of ephemeral art, I think of Andy Goldsworthy. Do you know his work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's describe. Andy Goldsworthy goes out into the woods, collects leaves, um, puts, you know, maybe it's in the fall, so they, he has a, a lot of yellow leaves he has a lot of red leaves he puts them into the water in a like a sort of tide poolish kind of water um and the way he and he photographs it mm-hmm. so it's a, it's not ephemer, ephemeral in the strictest sense mm-hmm. but it is ephemeral in that the the river that you know he's building it in will eventually mm-hmm. you know move the leaves down the river um or he'll build he'll go out in the winter and he will take icicles and he will heat up the end of the icicle and stick it to the horizontally to a tree Mm -hmm. and he will do that all along the tree as if it's like a dinosaur with you know Mm -hmm. um and then he will photograph it and eventually when the sun comes out you know those will be gone um, that that is art to me, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and certainly, jazz, improvisational jazz, is is art. 
Um, and if somebody records it, we get to enjoy it. <laughs> um, well, um, the last design open house we had um, was with the... Um, John was with John was with David was with <laughs> Frank wasn't Frank what the fuck was his name god damn it uh, what, what did he do I he's a, a choral master at Grand oh, High School oh yes yeah. oh yeah and he was talking about improvisational jazz being really practiced before you know. uh huh so it, it, there's it, it's my feeling that that the great stuff lasts generation to generation. That anyone at any time who sees it or, or hears it or comes in contact with it gets some sort of hit off of it. Yeah. I mean, I think I, think I, I would agree with you mostly. I think it's very... Um, I think it doesn't happen often that ephemeral art that that isn't that isn't um, recorded or photographed or something lasts, even in your memory. I mean, the only thing I can think of um, is going to a concert with Sweet Honey in the Rocks years ago, um, and at the end of their show. In one of their songs, one of the singers does a does a solo, and when you're the observer, you don't think that it's planned, mm-hmm. and um, and she sings this solo, and I I'm getting goosebumps as I talk about it. Everybody in the audience stood up. And was amazed at this woman's voice and how she sang it, and um, and it was it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it has lasted in my yeah. memory for yeah. so long. Um, and I've, I, it was planned. I learned later sure. it was planned. It was part of their act, but people don't know the audience doesn't know that. Right. You know, they're still moved or whatever by the work, you know, they're singing. So, you know, I'm I'm still, you know, moved by art from the 18th century or mm-hmm. especially crafts. Um, not so much art from, from, you know, centuries before, but mostly craft, you know, what I would call crafts. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, you know, crafts. Um, well, there's... Let's not get into that discussion. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, performance. Well, performance art. Oh, like interpretation? No, I mean singing. Right. You know, or listen to a, you know, a jazz group or the symphony or mm-hmm. going to a play. Yeah. It happens that moment and then it's gone. Right. And may, they may reprise it the next night, but it's different. Right. It's always different. Each night's performance is is different. Whereas building a piece of furniture or building a piece of jewelry is is very different. And um, 
Do you think about that when you're making something? Do I think of, of the longevity and having it last? And I, I didn't used to, but then I realized that I have now some things in my own possessions that I built decades and decades and decades and decades ago, <laughs> and the stuff is still hanging around. I'm going, oh, huh, this stuff seems to last <laughs> yeah. a little while, yeah. you know, and that's that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's luck with with woodworking, um, and which is why it's valued so low on the totem pole <laughs> of the museum mm-hmm. spectrum. Um, I don't know what's top of the list. Maybe glass, might be pottery, but uh, stone work. Mm-hmm. Um, but wood is low because then the last couple hundred years, every once in a while, there's a you know thousand year old piece of wood, but not that often. Why doesn't it last? Just it gets eaten up by by oh, the bugs. It uh-huh, gets composted. Uh-huh. Right. You know, it just doesn't. It gets you know out into the world and it gets yeah. rained on, dries, it just falls apart. So we're not as high up on the scale as bronze, right? Yeah. Stone, stone work. Um, but it's interesting to think about the impact that it could it could have. I'm not saying it will have, but it could have on someone a hundred years from now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about the uh, trying to do a good job. Um, and I think that's that's the idea of craft, is to keep getting better at this stuff. And yeah. Fewer mistakes. Or, yeah. Well, I think, you know, the quality, I mean, you're going for excellence. And however short you fall from your ideal, you're still going for that ideal of right. excellence and, you know, good joins, you know, good joinery in your case, good soldering in my case. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I think I told you this already, but there's a, there's a poet I really like who wrote a book called The Triggering Town, where he talks about... Um, this is... Uh, Richard Hugo, uh-huh. uh, where he talks about um, art. All art is failure. Right. Yeah. Um, I quote and, this in my book. Oh, do you? No, that's right. You do. <laughs> yes. Um, and but not failure in the sense that you've done something bad or wrong, or right. failure in your own eyes. It doesn't live up to your expectations of mm-hmm. yourself, right. and I think I think I think you were talking about stumbling blocks to your creativity. I think it's a big stumbling block to yeah, creativity. I think, I think it's a huge one. Self judgment and like I'm not good enough, and look at all the other people that are really good, really good. <laughs> um, Always confident, right? Yeah, <laughs> I hate them. Right, um, and I, th- you know, with a lot of, I think maybe across the board. For me, one of the hardest things to do is have uh, a language, like have an artistic language that belongs to you, that you have that you have developed. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so your, that your pieces reflect that language, mm-hmm. whether in woodwork or glass or, you know, I mean, you, and you have to be very careful that, that it doesn't become redundant or that you copy yourself or right. what's that called? There's a word for that. Um, plagiarize yourself. No, you, it's <laughs> a, it, it starts with an E anyway. Um, it's a very difficult thing to develop a design language or a... Yeah. Yeah. And people who... I People who do it, I have a, really a high respect for. Yeah, I, I call it a design vocabulary. Yeah. And... Yeah. Um, and that's... Yeah, and that's why I think, I mean, to get good at your craft, whether it's writing or... Um, you know, craft media, uh, it, you really have to be good at your craft mm-hmm. to be able to play with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It takes time to get to that point. Yeah. You don't get there right away. No. It takes, it takes years of practice Yeah. to get to the point and you can't be thinking about it all the time. Yeah. But you, it, it just takes years of practice to, to be able And to, failures. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you have to be willing to fail. To be able to break the rules. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in, in Picasso's approach. You know, the jerk that was a Picasso. Um, <laughs> which is to learn, you know, the classical approach. Right. And then he could break the rules. Right. Exactly. I am too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, when I, the first time I was in college, um, I went on... Um, a semester in San Francisco. It was I had only had one class that semester, and it was on um, Indian philosophy, Indian design, and everything. Um, and of course, my professor was it Indian, East Indian. Um, and we went to an ashram where they were teaching music and dance. And one of the dancers there said. Um, we are learning traditional Indian dance and I cannot be creative until I have mastered, you know, the forms. Right. Right. And once I've mastered that, then I can, then I can create new things. Right. And that I think is true. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for that practice, getting it in your bones. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. That allows you at some point, and who's to say when that occurs? I mean, there right. are people with lots of talent, like you, not me. So, um, like you, not me. <laughs> and you can, you know, keep banging your head against it for years and mm-hmm. not feel like you've made any progress. But then all of a sudden, boom. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no, I definitely think that. It's not. I mean, it's almost, you know, I mean, it's a practice like any other practice, like yoga or or meditation or, you know, whatever. The problem today is people who want to be creative, this is my, my feeling, the pop, people, go ahead, pour. We got time. The problem today is, I think, is that people want 
they want to be great right away. I want to be great right away. I want to learn French. I, you know, I'll give it a good six weeks. Then I want to be good at it. Now I'm still, I don't know how many years into it. I'm still just kind of stumbling my way through. And, and, And the immediacy of our time, I think, creates unreal expectations about how quick you can become great. Well, I think the experience of our times is that you can become great with very little input into your craft. I mean, for some, for some things. Um, World of Warcraft? <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I'm so unhappy about, you know, the demise of contemporary crafts gallery and... Oregon College of Art and Craft, um, because there they they taught you know over a long period, mm-hmm. um, ex, you know excellence and the, but people aren't really into spending that much time developing their ability to create something, and that's where the word maker comes from, which irritates me to no end. Um, because makers to me are people who just, you know, do, do craft, you know, for the hell of it. Um, so I'm prejudiced, but so do you think it's the, their demise, contemporary crafts gallery and the Oregon college of arts and crafts demise was because of a change in a shift in attitude by its. No, I don't think. I think it has to do with failures of the board. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, keto. <key. laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I think and expense probably. You know, I don't know how much their their degree programs cost. I don't think they should have gone to a degree program, well, pers- personally. But yeah. that'll get edited out. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> I think that. Um, there are crafts programs that are still alive today, um, and there's there's uh, arguably as much interest as as, as there's ever been. I think so. In too. people doing hands-on work, yeah. Uh, so it's not a question of of a change in attitude. I don't think. I don't think so. Either. I think it's mismanagement. I think yeah. it's you know certain people. Namita, who uh, <laughs> I think. I don't know the inner working. I'm sure this will get edited oh, out. Yeah. Namita. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I was only aware of her before she became. Was she the director? I don't remember. When she was a metalsmith, I was aware of her. She did really nice work. Yeah. But um, I was going to pitch. So this this I'm going to stop. So this uh, so this. Um, so the demise of certain organizations here in, in the Pacific Northwest, um, we think, may be more organizational than... Yeah, absolutely. Because there's so much interest in craft still. People need this stuff. And one of the... Well, the head of the metals department just started um, a... Mm-hmm multidisciplinary craft uh, venue basically out in the industrial district um, 
where so it's not just metals but it's you know all sorts of things Mm -hmm. um and they did a kickstarter campaign and it made its goal and i think um i'll you know i'll look at them and see what they're doing in the future Mm -hmm. uh I don't know if they're a non-profit or if they're a for-profit. Let me ask you this question. Moving up. Let me ask you this question. Are all people creative? Do you think? Uh, basically, yes, I think. Mm-hmm. I think some people don't utilize their creativity or mm-hmm. have beliefs about themselves that mm-hmm. you know don't, you know, where they don't think they're creative or they have barriers to their, you know, being creative. Mm -hmm. But I think basically, yes. And, you know, it depends on what we, I mean, we can't limit it to the quote unquote arts. No. Um, I know some physicists, physicists, you know, doing physics requires creativity um, because you know, doing science requires creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had several um, software programmers say to me that the good ones, um, it's very creative endeavor. Yeah. I don't get, I don't understand software development, but yeah, uh, I believe it. I mean, you have, you're using, I think to be creative, you're using all all the input from all sorts of areas of your life. Um, And I, uh, I know a couple of physicists and they were, they developed something as, you know, pedestrian as adhesives, Mm -hmm. but they, you know, adhesives are huge. I know in experimentation, you have to think, you know, you have to say, okay, is, you know, what if I do this? Right. You know, so you're you're playing around in your brain about things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. could possibly work, and that's the same thing you do in art. Yeah. Um, so yes, I think all sorts of people. You know, I think most people are creative. Um, you know, put people on a desert island and and you know. Yeah, have them survive and yeah. see how creative they Gotta become. Creative about how many alliances they, do they? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I think the what if part of it is uh, is really critical. I have a I have a I have a shortcut key on my word perfect word processing program. Um, F eight, boom, hit it, and it just types in what if, what if this, what if that, what if right. this. And I think that um, sort of spitballing ideas about what if I tried this? What if I did this? Without judgment right, is really important because stuff comes up and you go, oh, yeah, what if I did this and it wasn't symmetrical? Or what mm-hmm. if I did this and it wasn't what someone expected? Would that be good? And I think that's really... Uh, and, can... and, and I think you can ask that question and and say, what if what if it's not symmetrical, and not even go past that, and then just start, right? Just start, right? And um, then 
see what happens. I, I think I have been too constrained by fears of fears of not being good enough, fears of um, you know not being good good enough of the person sitting next to me, but also fears about you know losing my own ability to create or or being pedestrian or whatever. Um, well, those fears are... I think that's universal. Yeah, the, the problem is that we, <clears throat> we have this left brain that convinces us that we are alone in this mm-hmm. endeavor. Mm-hmm. One of the cool things, when I went to uh, Vermont Studio Center mm-hmm. 20-some years ago, and a great place, and it was mostly for painters and writers at the time, uh, not sculptors, certainly not furniture makers. But um, I, I'm going to try and retell the story in, my, in the book that um, after two weeks we had this. People kind of cycled in and cycled out every two weeks. And um, we had this party, this going away party. And one guy was a painter who was also a middle school teacher. And he was talking to me, you know, having a party he said that uh, it was so so great to be around other people who were like him because there were so few other there were so few other people like him in his in his school that to be around other creative people is so free in a way because there yeah I think you're right there are very few people who are willing to let themselves try new stuff and be creative Mm -hmm. and it's hard to do it is hard to do. It's hard to do. Yeah. But if you make that effort, if you make that attempt, it's really cool. But you have to be, I think you have to be enormously selfish. I think you have to in, be... Selfish in what way? Well, you have to steal time. You yeah. have to steal time from your routines. Your loved ones. Your loved ones, maybe yeah. your family, your job. You have to say, okay, I'm going to do this because I have to do this. And, um, but that's the only way to do it, I think, mm-hmm. is to be selfish about it. Well, I can, I can remember, I mean, basically, when I, you know, went back to school, um, people, you know, you and a couple of other friends are one of the few people that put up with me being gone for, you know, in my head for eight years because I, you know, I started at a later age. It took me longer to do things. Um, and once I finished, it was like, yippee, <laughs> you know, I get to be social again. Um, you know, so uh, that has nothing to do with creativity. But it was selfish, you know, I mean... Yeah, I think you have to be right? in order to get to get your work done, the work that you feel that you're here to do. I think you have to be a little bit selfish about it. So um, I don't think there's anything wrong. With that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't feel my art is, you know, I'm not here. You know, I don't feel that. I think. 
I think you feel much more that way, like this is what I'm here to do, than I do. To me, you know, I can, I can do the maker thing with a friend, you know, and spend five hours on, on a day, you know, making something and, you know, having a good time. But I don't, or, and I, maybe because I started so late, if I had started earlier um, with metalsmithing, I would be more ambitious. Maybe. You know, but, um, yeah. Go ahead. It's this thought pops up that creativity is uh, the kind of blessing that you can have at any time if you so choose. At any time. I hope that's true. I mean, because I'm worried about that as I'm as I get older. How much time do I have left to be able to be creative? But um, if that's if my if my assertion is true, then it's a gift, and if you have to practice it, yeah, you got to practice. This is like any muscle. If you don't yeah. work it, it's yeah. going to get stagnant and atrophy and all that stuff. That but, was surprising to me. Yeah, I thought I thought that because I didn't have a studio for so long while I was in school. Right. Um, and I thought that, yeah, well, boom, when I get back, I'll just have the same skills that I always had. Nope. No. Wasn't, wasn't the fact. It no. wasn't the truth. No. no. It takes time. And it took me, well, it's still taking me time to get back to the skills that I had. Yeah. And How much time do you spend each week? That's a bad question. <laughs> and thanks for coming. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Be sure to check out our next episode <laughs> when Roy Rogers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. I'm spending much more time writing. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Let's just wrap this up because yeah. we got almost an hour of stuff. I'm going to a lot of. I don't know how to wrap this up. <laughs> this is part of the problem. Creativity is. is um... God, I just think it's. I agree with you. It is inherent in each of us. We have it. It's just a question of whether we want to open it up. And it can be opened up to so many different avenues, so many different ways yeah. of being. I, I think you have to be open to failing. Right. You have to be open to... Um, and now that I've started writing again, um, I was in a workshop and one of the women, after we were all reading our stuff, said... Gosh, you guys are so open about your life, you know, your life and, you know, your struggle. And I th and I thought, well, gosh, isn't that the point? Yeah. You know, especially in writing, um, being vulnerable right. is I, the point. I I think that that's the difference between writing and furniture making right. or, or metal work, metal right. smithing. Yeah. In that work, you don't open yourself. Up. Right. You don't open you. Well, you don't have to open yourself. No, no, you don't. Well, I mean, you you can if you push it far enough. Uh, well, if you're doing conceptual work, maybe. Yeah. You know, but no. For the most part, it's a it's a form of therapy. I think. <laughs> 
I think it is. It certainly is for me. Uh, it's a form of therapy. Woodworking? Or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, woodworking is. But if you, when you start writing, yeah, I don't know about music because I'm not a musician, but that writing is certainly um, much more Yeah, I open. mean, I, I don't want to call it therapy um, because I think that lessens the importance of the craft and the practice mm. of doing it. Um, I think that might be the end result, but you don't go into it thinking of therapy, therapy or, yeah, I mean, it might be the end result, but it, I don't think it's, um, that's not why you do it. Well, yeah. Yeah. This has been a fascinating conversation. (laughs) And I thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for asking me. Well, it's fun. We had fun. Yeah. That's it. That's what Let's it's about. finish this bottle of wine and have dinner. We have not been drinking wine the entire time this conversation has <laughs> no, been going on. I don't know. Well, maybe. This has, been Gary, <laughs> this has been Gary Rogowski from the Northwest Woodworking Studio. Enjoy a glass of wine this evening. And uh, join us again. Check out the website, northwestwoodworking.com. Thanks so much. <laughs>